0: So part of the ordination process that many people don't know about is the psychological evaluation. Most every denomination does some version. And in my case, every denomination in the state used the same testing center. So we all have roughly the same experience if we were ordained in the state of Georgia. So I don't remember exactly what that looked like. I don't remember the test, but I do remember that it was a full day of answering questions on paper so that someone could then ask more questions face to face. And throughout the process, they kept saying, This isn't to rule anyone out from ordination, this is just to make you aware of needs and issues and make informed decisions and get you supports if you need them. Now, that's a statement we could evaluate for a while, but apart from that, They told me that I am an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs assessment. If you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs assessment, INTJ is a rare form, and it's even rarer for women than men. There are many resources you can read about Myers-Briggs assessment, and my personality type has fun names attached to it for sure, and they'll give it various explanations, but they all kind of get around the fact that they're trying to say, yeah, people often think you're a jerk, so you should probably work on that. So, more amusing than that, was when the guy who was doing my evaluation was finishing up, and we're reviewing results, and he shifts uncomfortably in his seat. And he says, well, obsessive compulsive tendencies click up to the disorder level, and he kind of trailed off, waiting to see what I would say. I think he was very surprised when I started laughing. He was like, oh yeah, you should have seen me a few years ago. And his response was simply, oh, good. You know that. And I assured him that I did know. I did very well know and had already taken significant steps to address that problem. So when I said that his worry completely melted away, He made some additional notes in my files and I'm aware that given his line of work, he was not at all surprised to hear me say that yes, I knew. One in five adults in the US is living with a mental illness in any given year. That's about 20% of the population and the percentage of the population that has a mental illness diagnosis at some point in their life is even higher. It's not as easily quantified with the current data. And additionally, one in 25 adults lives with a serious mental illness, an illness that interferes with or limits their daily activities. Now, mental illness affects people of all ages, including children. And because children change so quickly and make such different developmental um, milestones at different ages, The treatment is different for them, there's not quantifiable data, and we're not quite as sure how to treat children. But I say that, and I note that prevalence of mental illness, because there's no way to talk about Ecclesiastes without talking about mental illness, and specifically depression. So far we've talked about King Solomon's wisdom and wealth, and how he used all of his riches for the good of his kingdom and his neighbors. I mentioned earlier that King Solomon is also the traditional author of three books of the Bible. They're part of the writings. They're more poetry than story, more wisdom than history. Solomon gets credit for actually Song of Songs, most of Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, he is named as the teacher, or Kohelet. So if you just Google Ecclesiastes and depression, you'll find plenty of people who are deeply offended by the idea that King Solomon was depressed. They write and preach and make videos and do all they can to discredit that possibility. We're that uncomfortable with the idea that faithful followers of God could wrestle with mental illness. But we shouldn't be. The truth is, it's part of our experience as humans reaching all the way back to the days of King Solomon. So if you were paying attention even just a little bit to today's scripture reading, I don't think you need much convincing that Solomon was depressed. His opening thesis is simply expanded upon in poetic form for the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Perfectly pointless, says the teacher. Perfectly pointless. Everything is pointless. Other translations might change that lament a little bit. Instead, Solomon might write meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, or vanity, vanity, all is vanity. No translator gets around the fact that Solomon has sunk into so deep a depression that nothing matters to him. In fact, he can do literally anything. He knows it, he's tried it, and all of it remains meaningless. In this relatively short book of Ecclesiastes, only 12 chapters long, the word pointless is used 30 times. Given the fact that Hebrew poetry likes to restate the same thing in a slightly different way, you can easily double if not triple the number of times that Solomon concludes everything is pointless. That is the depth of his depression. There's one part of Ecclesiastes you're likely familiar with if you're over the age of 30. I cannot attest to the familiarity of this song with people who are under 30. It's chapter three, verses one through eight, which became the lyrics for the song Turn, Turn, Turn. The Birds made the song popular with their 1965 release, though it was recorded two times before then. For a younger generation, it was one of the songs that was in the 1994 movie, Forrest Gump which we all watched as part of history classes, and then the music became show choir and band medley pieces for high schools across the country. The song itself was written by Pete Seeger in the 1950s, and written might be a strong word for some light reworking that seems a little like plagiarism, even if the King James Version of the Bible is considered public domain. Basically, Pete Seeger took Solomon's words, switched them around a little to make them rhyme, and added turn, turn, turn in between. Here's the King James Version of Ecclesiastes 3, 1-8, which is what Seeger would have most likely had for inspiration. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. The pop song version turns Solomon's lament into an expression of piety. Everything comes and goes in a cycle isn't particularly comforting to Solomon, even if it is to us. By verse 19, and I quote, Solomon writes, humans are no better off than animals because everything is pointless. These seem very much like the cries of the person unable to get out of bed because of depression, whether that's today or in some ancient royal palace. Solomon's deep wrestling with depression being present in our Bible means that we have space for depression in our faith. We have plenty of room for the struggles of depression and all mental illness. We talk about it, we figure out resources, We walk alongside people in these seasons when everything is meaningless. Mental illness is actually part of our story of faith. It's pretty clear from King Solomon's story in his own writing that his depression was not compounded by life circumstances. We know that LGBTQ youth and adults have higher rates of depression than other groups, We know that poverty and race and other factors can also increase rates of depression and other mental illness. Fearing rejection by loved ones, fearing for your safety, worrying about if you have enough to survive, all negatively impact mental health. Part of our work as the church is that work of improving our collective mental health by addressing those larger justice issues. That's not what we're talking about in Ecclesiastes. Solomon says himself he has everything he could ask for, all the privilege possible. He's a king. And still he laments, pointless. In his story, we see a case of mental illness rooted in biology. We live in a world where mental illness has diagnosable criteria. We know we don't understand exactly how mental illness works yet. We do know that there's imaging from brains of people, and they look different if you suffer with depression or anxiety, or if you don't. Unfortunately, we still don't have tests to run like you might to check someone's cholesterol and say, yeah, you need to eat some more veggies. We do have medications and therapies We have some idea of how those medications help. We believe at this point that chemical imbalance in the brain is one of the primary underlying problems that needs to be addressed in treating mental illness. In other words, if your body doesn't make the chemicals it needs, store-bought is just fine. And that's true if it's to treat your sluggish thyroid or your anxiety. This king who had everything he could hope for would have actually been well served by being able to receive a diagnosis and medical intervention. Now, it is also worth noting that throughout Ecclesiastes, mentions of God come and go. This isn't the dark night of the soul sort of wrestling with God, This isn't absence of God, this isn't spiritual crisis. Sometimes those two things are related, but in Solomon's case, it seems to be depression alone. The story of Ecclesiastes is a story of a struggle, but it is a story of struggling through depression with God there. There is never a sense of abandonment in the midst of despair. There's never a sense that God is causing It is just wrestling, ongoing, and God is there in it and through it. If you have time, at some point read Ecclesiastes, because it is a journey that makes it clear that mental illness is not unholy. It is not shameful or something we don't talk about or experience as people of God. In fact, it is not a stretch to think that the God who called the poor and the hungry and those who mourn blessed would also proclaim, blessed are the oppressed, blessed are the anxious, blessed are those whose illness is unseen. May we also be partners through seasons when everything is pointless. May we learn to hear God's promise You are blessed when those struggles are our own. Amen.